0: to exit to my left your right if you're ages three to five this morning there's a few of you here uh, i anticipate anyway um if you're here this morning you're three to five and you'd like to learn a little bit more about god and how he became man you can head to my left uh, your right and mr eli will be helping out to teach you a little bit about the third part of our series the god man eli does look a little bit scary and so i don't think he's gonna go with you today eli But if you do, if you want to go to Hubtown Kids this morning, you can go with them and they'll take you back to the Hubtown Kids room. You'll learn about God becoming man, part three. Uh, As we transition into our text this morning, I want to uh, draw your attention to just a few things before we get to uh, our Advent series. One is this, Uh, Pastor Chris reminded you guys about the the Christmas Eve service that's coming up, a wonderful time, it's a wonderful opportunity uh, for you to be inviting friends and family to uh, to come to church and to hear the gospel clearly and joyfully proclaimed uh, by the saints here at Hagerstown Church. And so you are looking for an opportunity to invite a friend or a family that you'd love for them to hear the Word of God clearly taught, joyfully heralded. This would be a great opportunity for you. And, and I, I don't know if this is true, somewhere around 70% of folks that you invite to church will eventually go. They'll eventually come, but they're just waiting for an invitation. Why don't you use this Christmas... This week uh, to do just that. Uh, transitioning again to an announcement. So this is uh, totally up to you. a body moon Christmas offering goal three thousand five hundred dollars. Smashed it, and I'm really really excited about us smashing that goal. Uh, but I want to present another opportunity for you. It, 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 this week I had an opportunity to sit down with Pastor Joseph. And I want to know, I want you to know, the Lord is using that man, he is using that church that meets in Harris Hall here at 15 High Street, he's using them uh, to send the gospel around, to raise up uh, men to pastor churches there in Haiti, and they have a serious need. Uh, they are, pastor Joseph has a, a desire to, to start a Haitian Baptist college there in Haiti, and uh, they need resources. Uh, they need finances. They're, uh, one thing they're trying to do is put together a sea container, fill it up with resources to, to get this Bible college offering. And so i just throw this out there. If, if, if you have, uh, the Lord's laid it on your heart to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and you haven't had a chance to do that, you continue to do that. If your plan is to, was to give and God gave you a number and you want to do that, you go right ahead and do that. But I want to throw something else out there for you. Maybe, uh, why don't you consider giving to the Haitian Baptist College Fund there, uh, there in Haiti? I would love for our church to, be able to and to generously meet some of the needs that Pastor Joseph has there he spends a good part of this next year 20, raising up um, church leaders there in Haiti. And so consider that what I don't have all worked out just yet, but um, if you feel led to give to that, uh, when you get online this week at some point in time, you'll see a link and on our page that will say to the for the Haitian fund and so if you want to if you feel led to give to that you go right ahead again we're not going to take any of the money that's been given already to Lottie Moon that money is is already set aside for Lottie Moon but if you want to give to this Haitian fund I encourage you to give you can give online there'll be a there'll be a drop down later in the week and then also you can just mark it on on one of the giving there in front of you Um, and we'll pray together that God will use that uh, that offering these resources to bless and to further the work there in Haiti. Um it's, so, so, uh, it's such a privilege to have uh, them meeting right below us and to know that God is using us in some small way to help support what he's doing through them. I feel very privileged to, to be able to share that with you and to be a part of that. Anyway, we're going to shift back into our, our Advent series. Advent, what does it mean? Advent means? Wow. I think we need to get up and do some jumping jacks. Everybody fell asleep here on me. That does mean coming. Thank you, uh, Anthony. You're wide awake. Advent series. This is the big idea for it. I remember the promised deliverer has come. He's bringing good news of great joy for all people. Two weeks ago, we looked at this first idea that God promised to send a deliverer. To know that the God who spoke the world into existence, he also spoke to us a promise that he would rescue it. And just as sure as the word, let there be light, was Christ coming as the deliverer and so last week we looked at this idea that in spite of our circumstances whatever it may look like in your life difficult as it may be that god is continuing continuing to keep his promises in jesus he said he would deliver us he said he would come again and he's doing these things he has done these things in the person of christ i thought about this week as Our sermon ended last week I thought man God with us God with us and as I thought about God being with us two thoughts came to mind how wonderful is it that God is with us at the same time how terrible is it in some way how scary and unsettling is it that God is with us you'll understand what I mean whenever we take a look a little bit more in depth at the emotional state of the shepherd in that hills, on that side of, hill, uh, hillside, as the heavens opened up, as it were, and the glory of God shone down on them. If you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. It's the quintessential Christmas story, the most famous passage, I would argue. As it relates to Christmas, we're going to read it together. Many of you read this very passage on Christmas morning, maybe on Christmas Eve. Here, the week of Christmas, we'll read it together on the Lord's Day. So if you would, follow along on the screen. Use your copy of God's Word. This is what Luke chapter 2, verses 1-11 through 11 says. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. because there was no place for them in the end it's a beautiful story so much doctrine in there so much history i love this next part though think about it why this part included There's so many interesting pieces of the first advent of the coming of jesus but this part is particularly interesting to me verse eight and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night in you pray with me that god would bless the reading of his word here amongst the congregation again this is our prayer as we do every single week that you would help us to see you more clearly through this text father help us to understand ourselves more clearly father help us allow us gift us to see jesus more beautifully and more precious Maybe He be lifted up in this place, in this sanctuary, and in our hearts as well. From the youngest to the old, this is our prayer. That we ask in the name of Jesus for His glory alone. Amen. Look at verse 10. As I throw my water bottle on the ground. It says, The angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. This Christmas Eve, we'll get together and we'll try to unpack this idea of the good news of great joy for all of the people. But today, I want to look at this idea of the angels announcing good news of great joy main idea for us this morning is very simple. I think you'll understand well, just on an intellectual level, but I hope on an emotional level. This, that Jesus replaces great fear with great joy. A relationship with Jesus replaces great fear with great joy. Truly understanding, become in, becoming intimately acquainted with Jesus will remove your great fear Fear and replace it with great joy. You probably already noticed the contrast of emotions that's presented for us here in this passage as we look at these shepherds. Great fear they had, great joy was turned to as they went into Bethlehem. What I intended to demonstrate for us this morning is that these two emotions are actually associated with two different mountains in the Bible. These two emotions Fear and joy are associated for us with two mountains. Two mountains would be Sinai and Zion. Mountains of uh, Sinai and Zion. Hebrews chapter 12, it recounts another time when there were some folks that were sore, afraid, as the King James says, or experiencing great fear, as the ESV says. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 21 verse 18 and following for you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom a tempest and the sound of a trumpet with a voice whose words made the heavens beg that no further messages be spoken to them for they could not endure the order that was given if even a beast touches the mountain it shall be stoned indeed so terrifying was the sight that moses said i tremble with fear the writer of Hebrews in poetic fashion is helping us to see a picture of what was taking place there as the children of Israel exited Egypt and led by the very Spirit of God through to the wilderness to the foot of Mount Sinai and there God would enter, allow the, the children of Israel to enter into a covenant with Him and He would give them the law. God descended there to the mountain and as the book of Hebrews describes for terrible terrible sight exodus chapter 19 verses 16 through 20 give us the initial account on the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled then moses brought the people out of the camp to meet god and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain now sinai was wrapped in smoke because the lord had descended on it in fire and the smoke of it went up like the smokes of a kiln, like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly and as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder Moses spoke and God answered him in the thunder the Lord came down from Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up as we think about the first mountain this morning The first mountain, Sinai. I want you to understand this, that that Sinai is a reality. Mount Sinai is a reality. What do you mean by that? Well, I I mean simply this, that God exists. God exists. And that God is imminent in his creation. We saw a few weeks ago in Genesis chapter 1, the scriptures begin with the beginning, God the heavens and the earth it doesn't say in the beginning there was god and god created the heavens and the earth it assumes that we would understand and believe the reality of what sinai is demonstrating to us that just as sure as the smoke was surrounding that mountain god was there just as sure as the air that is in your lungs and the sun that floats in space and the rock we cling to that floats as well all of these things Are also evident that God exists. That God exists. God is. As a matter of fact, the very words that God would give to his people begin with: I am the Lord your God. It assumes that he is the Lord that spoke all things in. He is the Lord that is now speaking to them. He's revealing himself through his law he's revealing himself through creation and yet some would respond to God revealing himself telling us about himself his very nature through his law what he expects of his creation some would respond in rebellion some would respond by saying there is no God there is no law scripture teaches that when we make a law or make ourselves a law for the law, when we treat God as if he does not exist, unfortunate will follow. The fool says in his heart that there is actually no God. And there are some who would ignore God. There are some who would ignore his revelation through creation. There are some who would... Re- his revelation through the law there even at mount sinai but i would warn you this morning regardless of where you are regardless of what direction you're coming from whether you grew up in church you've been here your whole life or whether this is your birthday you cannot ignore this first mountain you cannot ignore what it represents god is god exists god is here For so those of you who would rebel against God and treat God as if he doesn't exist, a practical atheist, as it were, this morning, would you consider looking to him, submitting yourself under his authority and listening this morning that his, as His word is opened and preached. God exists. Maybe a foolish thing for us to spend so much time on, but so many would ignore it. And step aside, step past God exists. And those who know and see and sense His presence, they tremble, just as the mountain had enough sense to do. there in Exodus 19. But this isn't the only passage that when the presence of God is realized in the hearts of human beings, that they tremble and they melt with fear see that in Isaiah chapter 6, as the presence of God is realized there in Isaiah, what does he do? He falls down and he melts. And so it happened in the Old Testament. When they came to an acute awareness of the presence of God, that he exists, they trembled with fear. In Isaiah 6, when he realized and sensed the presence of God, he melted and trembled with fear. When the shepherds there on that hillside there in Bethlehem, when they are near Bethlehem, when they sensed the presence of God, what did they do? They trembled in fear. They were unable to ignore the presence of God. I would argue that regardless of what you believe about God now, there will come a point in time in your life where you will become acutely aware of the presence of God. And yet at that point, it may be too late. It's interesting, the phenomenon that's been referred to as deathbed confessions. The closer that you get to the imminent time where you will stand before God, the greater the chance that you will be willing to submit to that God who does exist and who has revealed himself to you through creation and through his law. I pray that you would tremble today and not then. That you would begin now and not wait. The shepherds, they became aware of the presence of God, the messenger of God there on that hillside. It says that they were startled. They were greatly afraid. And some would say, well, I think what had happened was they were really just startled. They were just scared. But everything began to slow down and calm down after they realized what happened. Well, that's not what the scriptures say. It says that they were very afraid. They were, the, the, the Greek word is mega or megas. And we don't, it doesn't mean mega just like it does today, but you kind of get the idea. It means greatly, intensely afraid, not just startled, like, oh, (laughs) I didn't see you there, but now I do. When they realized that they were in the presence of the angel of the Lord, they trembled, they melted. Imagine speeding down the interstate and then suddenly becoming aware of the presence of the blue light. It's interesting that sometimes you can even feel that light. I know for for many in this church, listen, this is a safe place. The Lord is kind and he's gracious and forgiving and you can repent and receive gracious forgiveness for speeding and and many of you, you need it. But you've sensed that blue light and you know the, the feeling when you realize the blue lights are behind you. More than startled, there's some startled there, isn't there? But it's far more than that. There's fear. Now imagine, this is exactly what the shepherds are feeling, but I would argue times 1,000. You see, why would they be afraid? Why would they be greatly afraid? You say, well, again, I think they may have just been startled. No, 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 no. You'd be startled if you found, like in, first cent- in the first century, if you were walking through the, the, the countryside there and you found a box of Pop-Tarts, pumpkin spice. That would be startling. You would be surprised. But yet you wouldn't be afraid. Imagine you saw unicorns dancing across the sky. Would you be afraid? Well, maybe. That would be a little unsettling. Perhaps you'd be concerned about what your shepherd friend had put in the stew that night. But ultimately, though, these things are not to make one fearful. And yet the shepherds were afraid. I would argue this. The reason the shepherds were afraid is because they feared God. Not only did they fear God, but they, I would argue, assumed that this was the end. In their hearts of hearts, they assumed that this was their time. That God had come now to hold them accountable to all the sins that they had ever committed, openly and privately. That Now their souls would be required of them. Judgment was at hand, and I think for that very reason when they saw the angel of the Lord, when they saw the heavens opening up, that they were so afraid, not because they were surprised, not because they were startled, but because they feared God. So there's this presence of God there in Sinai. When we sense the, the presence of God, we realize that He is, that He exists. But not only does He exist, but there is a terror. That's point number two. There's a terror that's associated with Sinai more than just surprise it's more than just being startled but being frightened to the very core And it was more than just the persons that were involved god moses the children of israel there at mount sinai There was more than just the persons that were involved but it was also the content do you remember there as the israelites gathered at the foot of the mountain the place the whole place shook thunder lightning smoke Trumpet sound, got speaking through the thunder. It's terrifying enough. But There's also the content that was delivered there at the foot of Mount Sinai. What was it? It was the law. Where God relayed to his people, this is what he wanted from them. This is what he was asking them to agree to. If you really think about what God was asking of his people, of, his, of the children of Israel there, it's an impossible task. It's a terrifying task to know that the God that does exist, that when he touches down on the mountain, it catches fire and shakes, that that God would give them a law that would be impossible for them to keep. There's a terror that's associated with Sinai. Perhaps the angels there, as they were, gathered there with their sheep on the side of that mountain that evening maybe there's a light not a blue light but a white light shone round about them that they began to think about the law god had given their ancestors there at the foot of mount sinai maybe they began to think about all the different ways that they individually had broken those laws that god had given to them maybe they had had other gods before yahweh maybe they had lied witness maybe they had stolen taking something that had not belonged to them maybe they had coveted maybe even that night who knows but i imagine that was a part of the terror now god had come and was requiring them to give an answer for their sin for their of the covenant i would offer for this this for you this this morning if when you consider mount sinai you are not scared you're confused. If you, when can you consider God, do not realize the terror that is associated with his holy requirements of each of his human creatures, if you're not terrified, in some sense, at some point in your thought process, then you're deeply confused. I want you to think about the prayers of the Pharisee and the tax collector that we have recorded for us in the Gospels. What does the Pharisee pray? How does he pray to God? God, I thank you that you've not made me like this other person that does all these other things. No, I, God, I do all of these things. I, I keep all of these commands. I do a great job. I'm, I'm just, I've really got my life together. All my things are in order. God, you've not made me like this tax collector over here who sins against you openly and privately, I'm sure. He's a terrible person. Well, Then the, the scene changes a little bit. The account gives us the prayer of the tax collector. And how does he pray? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Scriptures tell us that one went away justified and the other didn't. And here's what I would offer. One did not truly really understand what was taking place there at Sinai. One was confused. One had a, those simple, a greater understanding of the true presence terror associated with that holy mountain and christian i would offer not vaccinated from the disease of self-righteousness of works-based righteousness you're still just as susceptible to work righteousness which is actually not a salvation at all think about this, God's not going to love you anymore if you read your entire Bible in this next year. Many of us are thinking, hey, what will my reading plan be in 2022? How will I approach God through His Word? love you anymore if you read the Bible very, you know, very, uh, just the whole way through, or if you don't. He'll not love you anymore if you give the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. He'll not love you less if you don't. I'll not love you more if you give to this Haitian mission project of starting a church, or not a church, but a a college to train pastors. I'll not love you any more. I'll not love you any less based on your giving to that. If you attempt to earn the favor of God, if you think that in some way you have earned the favor of God through your own works like this Pharisee had, then you truly don't understand the place at Sinai. And it's necessary for us to see that God not only exists, but He has a requirement of each of us that we cannot attain. We can't reach, not on our own. And so this Pharisee for acceptance from God because of the things that he had done, expecting others to be rejected because of the things they had not done, because of the terrible things that they had, misunderstood God. Regardless of who you were, if you're honest, you would admit that there are parts of your own soul that scare you. There are shadows in your heart that you maybe aren't even brave enough to shine a light in and to see what's actually there. But that's actually, I think, the goal of Sinai. The goal of God for you as you approach Sinai is that you see your own sinfulness, that you are terrified and that you see not only your own sinfulness, but your own great need for a Savior this is what the New Testament teaches us. The law was our schoolmaster. The law was there, was given what? Why? To teach us of our own sinfulness. To show us of our need for a Savior. To point us back to that first promise that God gave to mankind in Genesis chapter 3. That he would send a And that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And so you see that in the terror of Sinai, in the presence of God, even that is to be understood as a means of grace. That God would reveal himself to us, allow us to, to truly feel the weight and terror of his presence in his creation. That God would allow us to see his own holiness and, and help us to understand and taste our own sinfulness to a greater degree. Of course, this mountain. It was never meant to be enough. It was never meant to be the only mountain in our lives. Yes, God's used that mountain, but that's not the only mountain. Mountain. It doesn't replace Sinai. It's necessary for us to first come to Sinai, to understand that God requires of us something that we cannot care for and attain in and of ourselves. No, there is yet another mountain that Sinai leads us to. And so there's a symbolic path that leads from Sinai to Zion. That path was first walked by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He, God the Son, He takes on human flesh. He descends from the mountain. He descends from heaven. He shares His own blood shed on the cross as a way to cleanse away our sin to pay for our sacrifice that was needed he rose again and he ascended into heaven that's the path that he walked one to the other zion is the city of david zion is the city of god mount zion is has two points on it one city of david jerusalem where David's throne actually stood. God said to David, Hey, there, your, your, your throne will always have one of your seed on it. And as a matter of fact, one of your seed will sit on that throne and rule forever. There in Jerusalem, the city of David, the south point of Zion. But just above it, there's another point. And that point for thousands of years has been where God's people Recognized God dwelt amongst his people. That's the Temple Mount. That's the Temple Mount. These two points comprise Mount Zion. Jesus, son of David, the king eternal, walked to the top of the mountain, entered into his temple. And as the great high priest sacrificed his own life as he was exited out of the city and crucified close by. He was buried near to the city and rose again and ascended to the Father. So we saw the presence of God, that he does exist. We saw the terror that that presence invokes in our own lives. And now we see that God has come from one mountain to the next. He's not replaced the first, but he's added two that second mountain, Zion, and we will look now at the joy that flows from Zion, the joy of Zion. Scriptures tell us that the angels declared to the shepherds there on that hillside good news of great joy. You know, good news is sometimes good news for you, and sometimes it's not good news for you. Maybe you can imagine what I'm talking about. Perhaps in the sporting world, you think, hey, your friend has good news, their team won. But that might be bad news for you, because why? Your team won that. But that's not what we see here when the angels announce. It's good news, and not just good news for God. Not just good news for the good folks. But good news even for these humble shepherds there on the hillside. Good news that led to what? Good news that would lead to what? Great joy. And so they experienced great fear. but The angel has encouraged them to now receive great joy. And what is that based on? Well, look with me at Hebrews chapter 12 again, but this time verses 22, 23, and 24. The writer of Hebrews goes on to, in a beautiful, poetic way, Describe what we've come to, this other mountain, yet another one, Mount Zion. He says in verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous and perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Think about this passage quickly. It says, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. The writer here is contrasting these two mountains. He's helping us to see that at one mountain, we needed to be afraid. At one mountain, we should experience Terror at this new mountain it's quite different he speaks of the the heavenly jerusalem to the innumerable angels in festal gathering what does that make you think of well we just read about this in the innumerable angels what had they done they came and they showed themselves to the to the shepherds there on that hillside and they themselves were in festal gathering they were excited the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, don't be tempted to go back, to return back from Mount Zion, back to Mount Sinai. You needed to come by way of Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. but Don't go back. One is ominous and full of terror, and this one is full of joy. Look at the sky. Remember what the angels declared, good news for all people. Great joy is what experience to the assembly of the firstborn are enrolled in heaven what's this, what is this speaking of it speaking of the church of jesus christ who've gone on before and to god it says also judge of all made perfect jesus who is here on this mountain and what is he doing he's creating a new covenant a covenant that doesn't require us to keep it but a covenant that he will keep for us to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of. Contrast these two mountains, and now he contrasts these two shedding of blood. You'll remember that Abel was murdered by his brother while he was in the field. Do you remember that? Do you remember the circumstances as to why Abel was murdered? Well, God had required an offering from Cain and from Abel. Cain had brought his offering not pleasing to God not according to what God had revealed and required of them Abel did exactly what God had asked he had shed blood he had made a sacrifice of his own flock it's a picture of what was to come it was a picture of Christ himself but Cain didn't like that why Abel was accepted Cain was rejected At least his offering was. So Abel was murdered in cold blood by Cain, his brother, because he was jealous and because he was angry. He did it secretly. And yet we know this, that whatever we do in secret will be proclaimed openly why? Because God is in every place. His eyes are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. And so he comes to Cain or it's, yeah, Cain, and he says, Cain, what, what have you done? What's happened? And he's like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, where's your brother? I'm not, I'm not my brother's keeper. I, don't, I have no idea where he's at. God in his kindness and firmness speaks to Cain and says, Cain, the blood of Abel calls out to me. It calls out to me from the ground. What a scary, terrifying statement to hear! Be sure your sins will find you. Cain, the blood of your brother—it's calling out to me. It's calling for retribution. It's calling for justice. It's calling for your blood shed because you've shed. This is what's in mind. This is what's in view in verse twenty-four. That Jesus' blood, don't miss this, that it speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What does the blood of Abel look for? Justice. Retribution. Your own. But it says Jesus' blood also speaks. And what does Jesus' blood say? What does Jesus' blood cry out for? Mercy. Jesus' blood calls out for grace. Jesus' blood calls out forgiveness. Jesus' blood calls out good news of joy. Whether this is the first time you've heard the Word God opened or this 500th time. What a beautiful testimony that God is holy. God is holy. He cannot look upon sin. We cannot touch his holy mountain. We cannot come into his presence in and of ourselves why? Because God is holy and man is sin. rebelled against God. The breath that he has given to us to bring glory to himself, we've used to worship of that blood must be spilt. Forgiveness must be purchased, and this is the good news. This is what's so special and joyous about Christmas time—that Jesus came, that He took on flesh, that He paid the debt, He paid the sin penalty that was upon her head. That the blood of Abel, so to speak, was He paid for it, and now His blood calls out all the louder. In faith, trust in His sacrifice if you in faith look to his blood for salvation and not your own works, but solely on him that you too can be saved. That's the invitation for all of us this morning. To look to Jesus, to look to his sacrifice and to receive the mercy that his blood calls out, declares to us this morning. As we close this morning, I want to offer you a quote from a famous theologian pastor by the name of Tim Keller he offers this statement it should be on the screen for you this morning it says this to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial to be known and not loved is our greatest fear but to be fully known and truly loved is well a lot like being loved by God it is what we need more than anything. I'll break that statement down quickly. To be loved, but not known as comforting, but superficial. Perhaps today you would say, I feel loved. I feel as if people care about me. I feel as if I'm accepted. Sometimes I'm like myself. But at the end of the day, I really feel like nobody truly, truly knows me. It's an empty feeling. I imagine that's exactly what the Pharisee felt that day as he prayed. He contributed to that. He wanted to be loved. He wanted to be admired. He wanted people to see him. But he knew in his heart that he was far more wicked than the publican could ever dream. And so he was superficial, trapped in hypocrisy. Maybe you can relate to that this morning. The gospel cries out to you this morning. The blood of Jesus cries out and says, you can truly be known and you can still truly be loved because of his sacrifice. But maybe you're on the other side. Maybe today you say, I, I, I'm known, but the problem is that I'm not loved. Or at least I don't feel it. Maybe you'd say, people really know me. Maybe they've read about me in the paper. Or I've been talked about behind my back at at the office people truly know me maybe you have really blown it in your family in your career when people began to know you and to really see you for who you were your greatest fear was realized and you lost the acceptance and love that in your heart of hearts you desire and need Your greatest fear is realized to you i would say the gospel speaks to you and says that Jesus' blood covers too, if you will place your faith in His work. Here's the statement. But to be fully known, to be fully known, the deepest parts, even the things that you're afraid to acknowledge yourself, the deepest parts that you're afraid to even shine a flashlight in the recesses of your heart, even those parts, when they are fully exposed and fully known by you and others and by God, and yet you're still truly loved, truly cared for, truly accepted, Keller says, well, that's a lot like being loved by God, and it's what we need more than anything. Hagerstown Church, Friends and family, this is the gospel. That your Jesus replaces, at least he offers through the gospel, through his coming, that it be replaced with great joy that far exceeds the greatest fear that you have ever experienced. And it's my prayer in this Christmas season that we more fully would embrace that great joy that accompanies and flows out of that good news. Let's pray. Father, this morning we... Celebrate what you have done and what you are doing in this place amongst your people around the world. God, what a foreign concept that we can truly be known and that we can truly be loved. What good news that the only mountain that you have rested and lighted upon is not Sinai but also Zion. God, we trust and celebrate The God who requires holiness is also a God who supplies holiness through the person and work of His Son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank You that You have made that available to us. That so many here this morning have laid hold of that. God, we pray that as we continue to celebrate Jesus' first coming, as we continue to look for His second, We would call those who are living in fear this morning. Into light. Into a place where they're more fully known. Into a place where they can be more fully loved. By you, Jesus. For your glory and for our joy. Church, would you stand and respond?